Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. You're listening to Away With Words, the show about language and how we use it. I'm Grant Barrett. And I'm Martha Barnett. Grant, I have a new word for you. Yes, please. Smooth. Uh, to smile when you watch the news? <laughs> <laughs> it's not a verb. Okay. It's a noun. It's S-M-E-U-S-E, smooze. Smooze. And it's a dialectal term from Sussex in southeast England, mm-hmm. and it means the gap in the base of a hedge made by the regular passage of a small animal. And this is in current use. Yes. Oh, that's yes. adorable. Well, I thought you'd like it, and I wanted to share it because I learned it from a passionate lyrical book of essays and glossaries called called Landmarks. It's by the British author Robert McFarlane. The book is an effort to reanimate our connection with nature by collecting more than 2,000 terms that are used in various dialects all over England. He says they're terrifically fine-grained vocabulary about the land and natural phenomena used by farmers, fishermen, sailors, scientists, miners, and mm-hmm. climbers, shepherds, and other people. And he calls it a book about the power of language to shape our sense of place. For example, he says, now that I know the word smooth, I will notice these signs of creaturely commute more often. And it took me a while to understand this, but I started to relate it to my own experience of camping here in the desert in Southern California, because the first few times I did it, it was just not so much a landscape, but what Robert McFarlane calls a blandscape. That is, you can't distinguish things. It's not so legible. And then you start to learn the names of different plants, agave, yucca, creosote, manzanita, and it starts to make more sense to you, and you start to connect more with with nature around you. you. You learn to spot a tarantula hole, for example. And so this book is a kind of celebration of words and nature that connects us to the natural world. I love it. And this is Robert McFarlane, uh-huh. and the book is... Is Landmarks, and I'm going to share some more examples later in the show. Outstanding. Sounds like a wonderful book. We know that when you read a book, you come across words you didn't know, but you want to share. This is the place to do it. 877-929-9673. Email words at waywardradio.org. Hello, you have a way with words. Hi, this is uh, Morgan calling from Tempe, Arizona. Hi, Morgan. Welcome to the show. Hello, Morgan. What's up? So uh, about a month ago, I was volunteering, and after we were pulling up barbed wire, we were hanging out and having a couple beers, and someone said, oh, do you have your church key with you? Uh, Otherwise, you're not going to be able to have your beer. And I just had no idea what they were talking about at all. And they said that it was a a bottle opener, but I had never heard this term at all before. And it seems like it was uh, a term for an older bottle opener, for a can of beer or something. So I was just calling to ask about the origin of that term. Mm -hmm. Yeah, back in the day when um, before Pop Top, uh, cans before before we had aluminum cans. We had steel cans, and you would use a bottle opener with a triangular point to open the beer. And uh, I think you see that sometimes on cartoons and things like yeah, that. Yeah, uh, two triangles, two holes on each side, so yeah. you can get air going in and water coming out or liquid yeah. coming out. Yeah. Yeah. And back yeah. in the day, if you'd had enough beers, maybe it's that uh, bottle opener sort of looked like a church key. <laughs> Big and heavy, right? Yeah. Kind of the same shape, roughly. Yeah. As a key yeah. So uh, it's pretty straightforward. It's just sort of the resemblance to a very large key. But it's irreverent. There's something slangy oh, yeah. about it, right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I mean, it's kind of a joke if you're talking about church and beer in the same sentence. The best we could come up with at the time was that uh, the next morning you were going to be saying, oh, God, oh, God. Well, that too, (laughs) if you use that church key too often. Yeah, Yeah, there's definitely the slangy mismatch of the idea of church and the idea of sitting around and drinking alcohol, right? Yeah. Slang often has that kind of incompatibility to to give you a little bit of irony or humor. Yeah. 
Well, it's interesting how often that question comes up. A lot of people are curious about that. Yeah, one. but you know, it's common enough. It's in every major American dictionary, mm-hmm. and many of the British dictionaries have it too. Although they usually mark it as an Americanism. Mm-hmm. And it might hark back too to the days where you know you had a really big key to open the front door of a church. Sure. Yeah, like yeah. the classic yeah. cartoon key. Yeah. Do you have any idea about um, when it started to become a little bit less? common among younger folk because most of the volunteers are a lot older than I am Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and none of my friends around my age have used the term at all before. Mm -hmm. That's interesting. I don't think it goes back much earlier than the early 1950s. 50s or so. But then when when pull tabs and pop tops appear the need for the church key diminishes. However, with the resurgence of beers that aren't pop tops, a bottle beer like the craft beer movement, mm-hmm. maybe yep. the church key slang is coming back. Because I have certainly heard it from people in their 20s and 30s. Okay. Yeah. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. Thanks so much for uh, telling me about this. Sure thing, Morgan. Thanks for calling. Really appreciate it. Bye-bye. You guys have a great day. Yeah, you All too. Right. Bye-bye. One place that you might still use a church key is opening a can of motor oil. Oh, Although of course, many of them now come yeah. in bottles with screw tops, plastic bottles with screw tops, or they have the peel back tab mm-hmm. that reveals a hole. Some of them you still use exactly the same kind of implement to make two holes on opposite sides of the can so you can pour the oil out. Yeah, I hadn't thought of that. Boy, that takes me back to being a kid and drinking Hawaiian punch. Yes, yeah. <laughs> One of my favorite things was to use the, the opener to make triangles all the way, all around, the way around so I could yeah. get the lid completely yeah. off with yeah. these sharp saw-like exactly. edges. 877-929-9673. Do you know what a browse line is? A browse yes, line? Yes, the highest point on trees that deer and similar animals can reach when they're grazing. Ding, 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 <laughs> ding, ding. How did you know I'm a reader. <laughs> like all readers. Browse, <laughs> what, what do you read that has browse I line I don't know. In books. It? <laughs> the world. I read the world. I was going to share with you this new term, browse line. But it's Distinctive a good one, right? flat crown base on trees and shrubs indicating the height to which, yes, it well, is. Well, the, the best thing about browse line yes. is that once you know to look for a browse line, yes. you see it everywhere and you're like, I don't see any other evidence of deer yep. except for this browse line. And right. that gives you everything you need to know. That's oh. cool, right? Grant. And then you can look for hoof prints and scat and what have you. Yes. Yes. And feetings. Feetings. What are feetings? Feetings are footprints. Oh, nice. Feetings in the snow. Yeah. 877-929-9673. Hello. You have a way with words. Hi. My name is Lauren. I'm from Omaha, Nebraska. Hi, Lauren. Welcome. What can we do for you? So um, I work at a climbing gym, which I know is really weird for Nebraska, which is in the middle of the Midwest. Um, but so because, you know, we're really new and a lot of people don't know about climbing we have a lot of lingo that goes through the gym that a lot of people don't know or don't understand which is totally okay but it then also makes us question like the roots of them but I was uh talking to someone one day and I was talking about how to climb a route that we have up and I said you know if you have any problems you know I can give you the beta and I realized I didn't know like, because they asked me then what beta meant, and I, you know, explained, well, that's how you climb around, and they're like, well, where does it come from? Because that's such a weird word, and I was like, I actually have no idea. So what are we what are we talking about? These fake walls with the handholds or rope climbing? Uh, beta can apply to both bouldering, which is where you climb on the wall, but you, have, you don't have any ropes with you. You fall into, like, a giant mat, mm-hmm. and there's wall top roping, which has the ropes. Mm-hmm. Okay. Beta, B-E-T-A, the Greek letter, right? Yes. And it's the route that you climbed. Is it the optimal route, or is it just one of the possible ways? It's one of the possible ways, because um, there's, like, a term for, like, being intended beta, so that means, like, how the route was set, like, the intended way to climb it, and then there's also, like, things like breaking beta, which means, you know, you're climbing in a way that's not the intended way. Mm-hmm. We do think we know the origin of this. It's pretty well established in the climbing field that the guy who made beta mean the route that you can take up a cliff face or mountainside or what have you was probably Jack Molesky, who climbed in Texas. And it comes from the word Betamax. You know, you may have read this before. Betamax is an old video format that kind of lost out to VHS, even though it had 
some optimal things. But there was a time in the 80s where you could buy a Betamax recorder and a Betamax player, and it worked like any other video camera player combination. And so if you say that you're going to go to the beta, it means that you're going to go to the tape of somebody literally climbing that route. You know, somebody else was standing back either after them or below them or on the ground was filming them going up so that then later other people could study their technique or study their route and, and mimic it or improve upon it. That's actually really awesome. I appreciate that it's it's such an a like niche term for a piece of technology that doesn't that we don't use anymore. <laughs> One thing that I really like about this is this filming of performance or filming of somebody you know, doing an athletic thing is so widespread and common in the rest of, you know, in, in football and baseball and every other sport. They film and they watch the film in order to improve their own game or perf- improve their own performance. And it's always been surprising to me that this beta term hasn't left climbing and entered the rest of these fields. So. Yeah, it's interesting. When I used to go to rowing camp, we would watch the tape. We would talk about the yeah, tape. and the tape. Football, too. You talk about the tape, mm-hmm. but yeah. not the beta. Not the beta, yeah. We're kind of a little bit narcissistic, so we love watching ourselves climb. <laughs> I mean, I guess we never, like, see it as, like, you know, how to improve. I mean, obviously, some people do, but yeah. it's just really interesting to me. I want to recommend a book to you, Lauren, before we go. Do you know about Matt Samet's Climbing Dictionary? His last name is S-A-M-E-T. No, I haven't heard of that. It's pretty good. And if you have a little gift shop or or something in your climbing gym, it might be something good to stock so your new climbers can bone up on the jargon of the field. That would actually be awesome. Yeah, and send them to our website, too, (laughs) (laughs) waywardradio.org. Anyway, thanks, Lauren. Really appreciate it. Thank you so much. Bye-bye. Bye, Lauren. Bye. Well, we know that you have language in your hobbies or your pastimes or sports you participate in. We'd love to hear about it. So call us 877-929-9673. The English writer Samuel Butler once wrote, Definitions are a kind of scratching and generally leave a sore place more sore than it was before. <laughs> you ever heard that one? No. It made me think of you because yeah. as a lexicographer, I'm always right? scratching. <laughs> no. <laughs> it's true. One of the things you teach novice lexicographers is there's no such thing as perfect. The best you can hope for is good enough. And oh. then you move on to the next definition. Oh. <laughs> We'd love to hear your thoughts about language, so call us, 877-929-9673, or email them to us, words at waywardradio.org. Away with Words is a show about family, history, and culture. Stick around for more. We've got something special for those of you who love our show but could do without the ads. That's right. Imagine a way with words, the same engaging conversations, the same deep dives into language without advertising interruptions. We're talking about our ad-free podcast feed. It's sleek, clean, and it's just for our supporters. It's at waywardradio.org slash ad-free. It's inexpensive easy to sign up for, and works with all major podcast apps like Apple Podcasts and Spotify. It's an affordable way to support the show and get a seamless listening experience. And if you're feeling generous, why not give a subscription to another Away With Words fan? That's waywardradio.org slash adfree. Sign up today. Your support means the world. waywardradio.org slash adfree. Thank you. You're listening to Away With Words, the show about language and how we use it. I'm Martha Barnett. And I'm Grant Barrett, and it's time for the quiz with John Chinesky. Hi, John. Hey, Grant. Hey, Martha. Hi, John. As you can tell from my name, John Chinesky, uh, my background is Polish. Now, you can probably tell from my physique, too, 
because I'm tall and kind of slender, so I'm pole-ish. Ish. Oh, okay, my. gotcha. Okay. Now, I'll give you a clue to a word or name that ends in I-S-H, ish. It will sound like I'm describing something that's similar to something else. For example, uh, this sounds somewhat like a mark used to identify livestock. The answer would be... Brandish. Yes, brandish. Right. Now, brandish really means to wave or flourish a weapon, but but brandish could be sounds like a brand. Okay? Okay. Here's a few more. This one sounds somewhat like an official or legal prohibition. Banish? Banish. It's sort of, you know, banish. This sounds somewhat like a restroom in the UK, informally at least. Lewish? What? <laughs> WC-ish? Weird. Mm-hmm. Um, um, lavish. Oh, yes. Very lavish good. is lav. right. Sort of like a lav. Yeah, if you put us on an airplane, we would have gotten it. Ah. Yeah. Now, this sounds somewhat like a fish's fishy appendage. Finish. <laughs> yes, finish. Uh, this sounds somewhat like a play on words. Punish. Punish, yes, of course. Uh, this sounds something like uh, an 80s term for cool or awesome. Radish. Radish. <laughs> You're probably waiting for that one. Yeah, there, it there it is. All the way back in the 80s? I guess it was. Hmm. Yeah. Time flies. <laughs> this sounds somewhat like the way I would, I would refer to me. That is, me vis-a-vis me. Selfish. Selfish, yes. Uh, this sounds somewhat like a bridge or arch, or rather the full extent of something from end to end. Spanish. Spanish, mm. yes. This sounds somewhat like a mountain lake or pool excavated by a glacier. Um, tarnish. Yes, tarn. Oh, a tarn. <laughs> yes, okay, yeah, very tarn. good. Great crossword Finally, word. <laughs> that's a very good word, yes. This sounds somewhat like a road vehicle that's bigger than a car yet smaller than a truck. Vanish. Yes, vanish. And on that note, it's time for me to vanish. I am finished. (laughs) You are finished. And speaking Spanish. I'll stop punishing you. And eating radishes. (laughs) John, thank you so much. Thank you, Martha. Thank you, Grant. See you next week. Bye, John. Thank you. Bye. Take care now. Well, if you'd like to talk with us about anything involving language, give us a call, 877-929-9673, or send us an email. The address is words at waywardradio.org, or you can hit us up on Twitter at wayward. Hello, you have a way with words. Hi, this is Katie calling from Fairbanks, Alaska. Hello, Katie. Welcome. What can we do for you, Katie? What's happening in Fairbanks? <laughs> yeah, well, um, as you guys may or may not know, Fairbanks is one of the dog mushing hubs of the world. Um, and I'm actually a dog musher here in Fairbanks. What? I- Cool. Yeah, I run uh, dog sledding tours with my husband, and then my husband is also running the Iditarod, the 1,000-mile race that starts in just a couple weeks. Wow, that's amazing. Goodness, 1,000 miles. Yeah, yeah. So I have a dog mushing question for you this morning. (laughs) Wait, you have one for us? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, well, it's a dog mushing terminology question. Okay. So um, when we direct the dogs where and how to turn, we use our voices. Um, so we tell them G to go right and Ha to go left. And it's my understanding that those words go back to, um, I, I think, like horse driving and mule driving commands mm-hmm. um, I'm, that I'm assuming were at least used around um, sort of the turn of the century and um, like Wild West gold rush time period in the lower 48 states. And I think that that's when the terminology was brought here to Alaska and started to be used by dog mushers here, again, around the turn of the century, early 1900s. But I'm curious why those words and, and where they came from kind of before the horse driving and the mule driving. Wow, that's amazing. So just to re- recap here, G is left and haw is right. No, I think it's uh, the other opposite. way around. Opposite. Yeah. Okay, haw is right and G is left. The reason I asked you is, one of my colleagues has done a little bit of work. It's been a couple decades on the modern understanding of these words, which were very well known when we were a more agrarian society, when you had a mule team or an oxen team to help you work the fields or horses to go to town with or what have you. And it turns out in the modern day, most people know that G and Haw directions to animals, but they don't remember which is which, which is left, <laughs> except in dog mushing which is really interesting. Hmm. So, yeah. 
So so Hawes left and G is right. Yeah. And so they have these they have separate lives as words, and they only kind of come together as a pair in the last hundred and fifty years or so. G is the much older one, goes back to at least the 1600s. You can find it in a, a ton of old dialect dictionaries throughout the United Kingdom. And what's really interesting, it doesn't, al- it doesn't always mean the same thing in every place. So in some cases, it just means go, or it means go forward, or it means go fast. And then, of course, later in the United States, it gets really specific and just means go right or turn right or veer right. Yeah. Pretty cool, so right? Cool. And it's yeah. And it's probably... It's, even more interesting to me is that there are all these other terms that sound like G, like G up or giddy up or get up that all kind of mean to go or, or get the speed on, but they're all later than G. They're all much newer, which means they might be influenced by it, but they aren't the source of the word G, meaning go or go right. Right, okay. And what we don't have for that or for Hall, we don't know the true origin because these are interjections, and interjections are notoriously difficult to source when you're doing word histories or etymologies. These are words that probably exist for centuries or even longer in the language before somebody decides to write them down because they're in the beginning of kind of really making dictionaries or collections of word lists, interjections get kind of short shrift because they seem so ordinary and they seem kind of non-lexical. And so people don't really bother to write them down until they become a little more obsessive and a little more completist later. Well, what strikes me about these two is that the vowel sounds are so different that I'm guessing that even if you're in a snowstorm or the wind's blowing really hard, you might not hear the initial sound, but you're going to hear the E or the ah. Yeah. Is, is that what you find, Katie? Yeah, I think that's exactly right. So when we give tours, um, I'm usually having this conversation with people about G and Ha, and um, I'll be directing the dogs with my voice during the tours, and people will often say to me, gosh, you know, you don't say that very loud. People expect that we really need to, like, hmm. yell at the dogs in order for them to hear us, because mostly when we give those commands, we're talking to the dogs that are in the very front of the team, the leaders. Hmm. And so people think we really need to yell in order for them to be able to hear us, but you know, I think, well, A, dogs have a great sense of, of hearing, but also, like, because they sound so different, I think they really only need to get, you know, kind of a sense of what I'm saying, a little piece of it, and they can easily get, like, okay, yeah, she's saying, you know, this way or that way. Outstanding. That's super cool. While we're talking, do you, do you know the origin of the word mush? I think so, but I could be wrong. Um, I believe it comes from um, marche, which is French, um, yep. I, I think, to walk or, oh. or to march or to move. Right, um, exactly, exactly. I would be interested to know how that word migrated um, around the world, um, because the French aren't necessarily known for their dog-mushing um, prowess, you know, at least in France. So I think that it comes maybe from French Canadians mm. um, and natives in that part of Canada who were mushing um, at, at some point in the, I don't, I don't even know what century that would be, maybe 1800s? Uh, earlier than that. Yeah, it goes back very to the, the French tradition in what is now Canada. Think about a time before okay. there were really borders between the countries or the borders didn't matter very much. Think about the, the fur trapper era or the casual exploring era where a guy just wanted to go see the country and he'd take off and he would learn this tradition of working with dogs in this way from the native people. And then the French jargon is kind of applied to this old historic way of getting around. Yeah, cool. We actually never say it to the dogs. So it's a word that we use, Mm -hmm. um, like when we're talking about mushing, when we're describing what we're doing. Um, But it's not a command, which a lot of people are surprised to hear. I don't ever tell the dogs to mush. And I think it's because the word, kind of like what we were just talking about, the word sounds like mush. Like, I think it's hard for them to hear, you know, mm-hmm. different than G and haw, which are very easy for them to hear. Mm-hmm. So good. what do you say when you want them to get going? Um, it's a two-part command. The first thing that we do is basically tell them to get ready. So we say, ready? And then we say, all right. And all right is their command for, like, moving forward. Um, different mushers will say um, hike. I've heard hike as well. But I think, again, all right with the T and hike with the K mm. is nice and easy for them to hear. Would your dogs obey anyone's voice but yours? 
Yes and no. My mom and I were just having that conversation last night. She's here visiting, and she was driving her own little five-dog team, and she was getting frustrated because they wouldn't listen to her commands. Um, And she knows the words, but I think a lot of it has to do with how you say it. You know, so the Mm -hmm. tone and the authority and the inflection is really big, you know. So um, my husband and I will say our commands almost exactly the same. I learned how to mush from him. Um, And so I think definitely the dogs do know the words, but there also needs to be a similarity in tone and inflection. So, Katie, one last question, although I could talk to you all day. Um, (laughs) How do you get them to stop? Oh, we have brakes on the sled. (laughs) Wait, you just surprised them? You just turned the sled off? We we do say, whoa, but we say, whoa, as we're applying that break. Um, and I've gotten them to stop using just the, the word before, but you typically do need the break. And that's why the number one rule in mushing is to never, ever let go of your sled. Because if you fall off, um, you know, you tip over and let go, they're just going to keep going. We don't have a way to, to bring them back. Okay. They are enthusiastic. They all are right. in it. And we would love to see pictures of the dogs. Yeah. You can check them all out on our website. The name of our kennel is BlackSpruceDogSledding.com. And I have or little pictures of everybody up on their website along with uh, little biographies. Oh, too. that's nice. <laughs> Black, BlackSpruceDogSledding.com. Okay. We'll put that's a link right. on yes, our, our website. website. <laughs> Katie, thank you so much. This was so informational and so enlightening. Yeah, and so we lovely. learned a lot. We really appreciate it. <laughs> Good luck. It was great to talk to you guys. Thank you so much. Take care now. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Bye. What language are you preoccupied with these days? Call us, 877-929-9673, or send it to us in email. That address is words at waywardradio.org. You know, Germans have a lot of idioms involving pigs, and one that I really like is Ich glaube mein Schwein pfeift, which means, I think my pig is whistling, which is what you say if you're utterly surprised about something that you never expected to happen. (laughs) (laughs) And do some people call guinea pigs whistle pigs? That just reminds me. You know, we've had a call about whistle pigs. I want to say it's marmots or marmosets. Marmosets? I think I had to apologize to marmots for saying... They were a size they weren't. Remember that? <laughs> whatever size they are, we approve of the size of the marmot. <laughs> That's right. But, you know, the good thing about this is you can find all of our past episodes on our website, waywardradio.org. So we could go check that out right now. And you can send us an email if you've got questions, words at waywardradio.org. Hello, you have a way with words. This is Shannon Hurley. I'm calling from Virginia Beach, Virginia. Well, hello, Shannon. Hi, Shannon. How you doing? Real good. What's up? I just have a word that I've always been worried where it came from. Um, the word is nitnoy. 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 Right. How so are you spelling that? Um, uh, I would guess N-I-T-N-O-Y, mm-hmm. uh, maybe N-I-T-N-O-I-D. I've never seen it written. Mm-hmm. And what does it mean? Well, something small or insignificant, like a nitnoy problem. Okay. Mm-hmm. Do you have a memory of about when you learned it, like how many years ago? I'm guessing probably 30 years ago. 30 uh, years I, ago. I, it seems to, uh, to me, I, I remember, mm-hmm. you know, as far as I've been in the Navy anyway, it, which I joined right up, out of college. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's really, 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 really interesting to me. So interesting. You know why this is interesting? I why only, is that? I only know of one slang dictionary, maybe two, I'll asterisk that but one slang dictionary that i can respect that has this word and that's paul dixon's war slang dictionary and i believe the word in a very unusual spelling was in there from 1994 onward and he spelled it n-i-t-t-e-n-o-i-d nitnoid which is really weird nobody else spells it that way the only other place i've seen it is urban dictionary but we kind of don't really count urban dictionary unless it's the only place that has it but What's crazy about this is it does mean small or tiny in the Thai language, but the American military hasn't had a presence in Thailand since the Vietnam War. And so even though this term is heavily associated with the military, like when I looked up uses of this, um, they kind of start in 1987 and they go forward to present day. And I find them again and again from people who are in the military or they live and work in military communities or they're part of the government that associates with the military in some way. 
there's this gap then between the end of the Vietnam War, when we might have had soldiers pick up the term from from Thai speakers, to 1987, when it first appears in print, as far as I know. And that gap is really unusual. We would have expected it to kind of appear right away, like so much other language that we got from the Vietnam War. That would make sense why it would have gone from, you know, people who were stationed in Thailand during the Vietnam War mm-hmm. to, you know, and then they get stationed in That's elsewhere right. in Japan and the Philippines, and it eventually just percolates its way among the, the military population. The only other competing theory that is worth pointing out doesn't have anything to do with the Thai language at all. And it's the idea that maybe it's a combination of nitpick and annoy. Because on a lot of the uses of this term, it is like exactly like you said, it's a small problem. So it's a small thing that's annoying. Or in a couple of cases, I've seen people refer to the nit noise of bureaucracy, like all the things, the paperwork that you have to fill out and the approvals that you have to get and the hoops you have to jump jump through in order to get funding or to get your program approved or to move forward to the next step. But that sort of has the ring of folk etymology yeah, or some it kind does. of it know, has after the, the fact etymology, yeah, it right? Yeah, very much sounds like an after, like a made-up story after the fact. And it reminds me of the term skosh, too, mm-hmm. which uh, which our soldiers picked up from uh, in Japan, right? right? From a word that means a little bit. Right, a little yep, bit. Yep, just a skosh. I, yeah. I'm very familiar with that word too. The mm-hmm. one other fact that I want to throw in here for what it's worth is that the dog of the ambassador to Vietnam at the time of the evacuation of Saigon was named Nitnoi. Really? Yeah. Nitnoi was a black poodle and Ooh. he left with his master Graham Martin on one of the last helicopters to flee Saigon. Yeah, so um, it's possible that there's a connection there. I'm betting that's a toy poodle and not a standard. <laughs> Probably a small poodle, yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but but I could see an ambassador naming you know you name your dog after you know he's he's in in fun of course. Oh, what an mm-hmm. annoyance! He's nitnoy. I mean, it's a little problem. <laughs> well, he might have just been a little. It's a, uh, nitnoy is sometimes used for uh, in in Thailand for as a nickname for people who are small or for, who are cute. Yeah. So it's ah, it's not necessarily derogatory in Thai at all. It's just a it's actually one of the, like the standard words that you learn when you first live or work in Thailand. It's very you pick it up like right away. Interesting because I I have visited Thailand, but yeah. it was as a tourist. So I I it was only there for, you know, less than a week. Interesting. Huh. Well, I'll tell you one thing that's going to be really amazing, Shannon. We have military communities listening to the show on both coasts. I assume, and I count on, a flood of emails and phone calls of people telling us their experience with Nittenoy. Right. Well, hello to all, all the fellow military on both coasts. <laughs> there we go. And we'll find out more. If they have the answer, we will soon get to the bottom of it, all right? Well, thank you very much. I appreciate that. Our Shannon, pleasure. Thank, thank you, you so for much. your call. We really appreciate that. Uh, okay. Take thank care you. now. Goodbye. Bye-bye. Bye. Well, if you've got a linguistic question that's bothering you, call us, 877-929-9673. Send it to us in email. The address is words at waywardradio.org. And hit us up on Twitter at Wayward. More Nerdy Wordy Goodness coming up. Got a minute? We need your help. Head over to gum.fm slash words and share your thoughts in our quick survey. Your feedback matters. It's the backbone of our show's success. Thanks for making our show even more successful. That's gum.fm slash w-o-r-d-s. Thank you. You're listening to Away With Words, the show about language and how we use it. I'm Grant Barrett. And I'm Martha Barnett. We've been talking about the book Landmarks by Robert McFarlane. And this is a book that seeks to rewild our language by collecting hundreds of specialized and poetic terms for the natural world. And I wanted to talk a little bit about the genesis of this book. It goes back to 2007 and two events, one of which was that in 2007, somebody handed him a copy of the Peat Glossary. Now, that's P-E-A-T. 
glossary, and this is a glossary of hundreds of Gaelic terms for the moorland on an island off the coast of Scotland. And he was so excited to find all these different terms associated with, you know, what you just think of as an expanse of land, Mm -hmm. you know, the moor. The other thing that I know you know about was that in 2007, a new edition of the Oxford Junior Dictionary made headlines when it culled a lot of familiar words from its print version. Words like acorn and bluebell and buttercup, dandelion, fern, ivy, lark, Mm -hmm. mistletoe, pasture, and willow. And they added new words into this edition, like block graph, blog, broadband, bullet point, celebrity, chat room, committee, cut and paste, and voicemail. And this, of course, created a great hue and cry, as you know quite well. Mm-hmm. It wasn't really fair, right, Grant? I mean, attacking a dictionary for removing words like that is like uh, hitting a thermometer because it's cold outside. The reason these words were cut is because they're not as common as the words that they were replaced with. Broadband and voicemail are more common than dandelion and willow. Was willow one of the willow words? Willow was one of the words. And, and so it needs to be the words that British people are using. And so it's a reflection of culture, not a direction of culture. This book by Robert McFarlane is an interesting mix of uh, poetic essays and also just lists of words uh, that might catch your fancy. Like, for example, the word zon, Z-A-W-N. The definition is a wave-smashed chasm in a cliff. And there's also zwer in that part of the country, mm-hmm. Z-W-E-R, which is the whirring sound made by partridges taking flight. Oh, that's which nice. if you've ever heard it, yeah, you know it's I a zwer. <laughs> like that. The other thing that, that I appreciate about his book is that he is well aware of the danger of making too much of the words themselves. Mm-hmm. And he has an interesting comment about that. He says... There are experiences of landscape that will always resist articulation and of which words offer only a remote echo or to which silence is by far the best response. Nature does not name itself. Granite does not self-identify as igneous. Light has no grammar. Language is always late for its subject. Sometimes on top of a mountain, I just say, wow. Mm-hmm. It's true. It's right? really true, right? So Robert McFarlane in the book is? Is Landmarks. Landmarks. Give us a call. Let us know what you're reading, what you liked about it, and what leapt out at you that has to do with language. 877-929-9673. Email words at waywardradio.org. And you can find us on Twitter at W-A-Y-W-O-R-D. Hello. You have a way with words. Hi, Martha. This is Emily. <laughs> Hey, Emily, where are you calling us from? I'm calling from Las Cruces, New Mexico. Las Cruces, New Mexico. Oh, nice. That's on my list of places to go when I do a Southwest road trip. That's exciting. (laughs) Yes, I recommend it. Emily, what can we do for you today? I'm a graduate student. Um, I recently asked a professor of mine to write a letter of recommendation for me, um, and he agreed to do so, and I was very honored and pleased. And then he went ahead and sent it to me, which was even more of a... Um, an honor that I got to read it. And so I was reading through it and um, uh, feeling very flattered until I got to this one sentence that really uh, kind of stopped me. (laughs) Um, And it was, he he said, yes, she is sassy. (laughs) And I I was, I was sassy. Yes. Uh, It kind of gave me pause and I wondered why, why it was that it wasn't sitting well with me. (laughs) Um, because it, it, what it came across to me, sort of as a as a veiled criticism um, of sorts, and then I thought about it some more, and it occurred to me that all of my classmates are are men, and it occurred to me that I would be the only one in the class who he would say that of. It was. It occurred to me that it was a very gendered term. Yeah. So so he's saying all these wonderful things about you and and your creativity and and all of that, and then he says, "Yes, she is sassy." I should be fair. It was in the context of um, he was he was sort of like praising my my smarts and what he called um, like my suspicion of received wisdom. So he was. Hmm. It was in the context of saying very glowing things. But it, it just felt to me like there was something sort of speaking around and be- beyond him, hmm. uh, this sort of like this double standard that he was reinforcing through the use of that word, which I felt is just not appropriate to the, the context of a, um, 
letter of recommendation, certainly. Mm-hmm. Boy, that is so but I, I wanted to call and, and ask your advice, first of all, about, about the word sassy and sass, and also sort of like um, how to handle a situation like <laughs> like this. <laughs> what a great question. Can I ask you to extrapolate a little bit on what you think the veiled criticism was? Well, first of all, I know that sass um, sort of implies rudeness and impudence, um, and so the criticism seems to me that, on the one hand, it's, it's a word that refers to being like witty, intelligent, quick, bright, but then it has, a, it sort of undercuts it with the fact of like a comment about speaking out of turn. Or mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. that's what I thought you meant. That is exactly how I would have yes. taken that mm-hmm. um, that comment. Had I read a, the letter about a woman that I knew, and somebody said that she's sassy, I would have thought, oh. What they're saying is she has a mind of her own. Is that what you're saying? She has opinions and she shares them? She voices them. She voices them. Is this, is this it? Yeah. It seems like an outdated or sort of tone-deaf thing to say. Um, so I wonder if the, the receiver will think, you know, um, maybe that wasn't meant in this way or mm. I, I'm just not sure if it sort of discredits the, the letter in a way. Yeah, that's a that's a good question because you don't know the mind of the recipient and they might not yeah. know that you're professor meant it with good intentions and so they might take the worst possible reading rather than the best possible reading (laughs) yeah right and it sort of says more about him than about you i think yeah yeah unfortunately (laughs) i would agree with what you're saying here and certainly if you google around about the word sassy you'll find many many women who agree that sassy is a kind of loaded term in many contexts, certainly in a professional environment. What would he have yeah. called a male colleague, a male fellow student? Would, they, would he have just said he was assertive? Right, yeah. Probably, oh, yeah, I guess, I guess maybe assertive. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't know. I think that, I think that what he was getting across was just this sort of, he was trying to communicate intelligence, but then I don't understand why then there had to be an aspect or an element of you know, like knowing one's place in that, because mm-hmm. that doesn't come into play when you're talking about a man. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so are you hesitant to use the letter now? Yeah, I am. I mean, so this is someone who I've, I've worked with for a couple of years now. He's a good reference. Um, mm-hmm. I would like to use <laughs> mm-hmm. to, to ask again. But then I, I suspect that this is the first letter that he wrote. He might use the letter, a similar, he might just send it, you know, a similar letter again. And I don't know how to address that with him and if I should or if I should just go elsewhere mm-hmm. <laughs> for my letters. Wow, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, we're definitely in your camp. Mm-hmm. Um, and it just sounds like he has so much respect for you that maybe this really is about, about him and his own, you know, language. And I, don't, I think it's worth a conversation. Yeah, maybe he just didn't know. I mean, certainly things come out of my mouth where a second later I'm like, oh, wow, that's sexist. I shouldn't say that. So maybe <laughs> yeah, you say he is older. That's also maybe yeah. the the Part of maybe it. if you say to him, his next words will be, "Oh wow, you're right. I didn't even think," and that might solve itself really easily. Yeah, yeah. Emily, thank you for sharing this story and the situation with us. We really appreciate it, and we would love to hear your follow up. If you do talk to him or decide not to, send us an email and let us know how it turned out. All right? Okay, for sure. Thanks for your advice, guys. I love your show. Yeah, it's a great thank question. You thank you so much. Take care, Emily. Good luck with the job. Hunt. You're welcome. All righty. Bye bye. Thank you. Bye bye. Eight seven seven Here's another term from the book Landmarks by Robert McFarlane about terms from nature, snowbones. What are those? Snowbones in uh, Yorkshire are long, thin patches of snow still lying after a thaw. You've seen these, mm-hmm. yeah, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah, they're left because of small depressions in the land, maybe, yeah. or uh, the trees shadowed that part, but not another part, right? Right, yeah. snowbones. That's cool. Kind of reminds me of pizza bones. Pizza bones, yeah. <laughs> the hard crust that nobody wants. Unless you have a bowl of marinara, then you're good. <laughs> then you're really good. <laughs> 877-929-9673. Hello, you have a way with words. Hello, how's it going? This is Dirk. I'm calling from uh, Glasgow, Kentucky. Oh, I know Glasgow. It's beautiful down there. What's going on? It is. There is a word that I've heard used lots of times growing up, and I thought maybe it was a cultural thing. It's called. It's a 
it's a for a tool. It's a boom dog. And what it is is a chain tensioner that farmers use to strap down, say, tractors on the back of a trailer. And I don't know where it came from. I tried to look it up, and the only thing I come across is uh, that it's a tool that's part of a crane system. And I also have found that they make they make um, levers, extensions, heater bars for boom dogs, but I can't find an actual boom dog online. So you're saying boom, B-O-O-M, and then dog, boom dog? Yeah. Yes. Dog, D-O-G. Uh-huh. And so now... What you're describing is uh, this is the ratchet-like device that pulls a, a cable or a strap taut across the bed of a truck to hold something on it? Yes, exactly. Okay. Um, and, and is there actually a boom involved in this? I'm thinking of the boom like a long spar or a board or some kind of projecting arm. Well, there's a there's a lever arm that's about let's say 18 inches long. Okay. But it doesn't seem like a boom. That's that's where my question comes into mind. Yeah. Mm-hmm. There's so the word is we can break it down into its two parts. I think what we've got here is a term borrowed from some other kind of some kind of kind of mechanics or engineering or some other physical occupation, perhaps shipbuilding or oil drilling or construction or that that sort of thing. Because um, the boom is kind of like the ship's boom. It's a, typically a long arm that projects out either to, to hold something or to uh, provide support for something else. And then the dog is really interesting. A dog has been used, oh, for a couple hundred years at least in a wide variety of contexts. But almost all of the mechanical of some kind to refer to any kind of device that holds something in place. So it could be a gear a cog, a peg, a wedge, a dowel, a stick, a chain, a rope, um, many, many other things have all been called a dog. But what they almost always do is hold a thing in place. So a boom dog typically holds a boom in place or holds something to a boom so the boom doesn't fall or pivot around or swivel. Oh, yeah. wow. So it sounds like the device that you're talking about on the on the flatbed trucks it, the, the term probably comes from someplace where there actually was a boom. There's just not a boom anymore, but the device is still useful. Gotcha, and it is still a dog because of the nature of holding the strap tight. Yep, that's yeah, right. Yeah, I'm picturing a dog that, uh, you know, you hold a stick out to, and they just grab it, and they won't let go. <laughs> Maybe that's it. <laughs> yeah. Maybe that's the origin for sure. Definitely makes a lot of sense. It's just that maybe over time the boom has been replaced with just a short lever and it's still being referred to as the boom, I guess. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, interesting. How about that? One of the places that this term might have come over to the flatbed use that you have is from logging because a boom is a a raft raft or collection of logs sometimes, often floating on the water. But I could see it certainly... Boom, certainly applying to a stack of logs or timber on the flatbed of a truck, too. Derek, thank you so much for calling us. Thank you very much. You guys Uh, have a great day. I really enjoy the show. Thank you. Take care now. Take care. Bye-bye. 877-929-9673. Hello, you have a way with words. Hi, my name is Rebecca Easter. Hi, Rebecca. Welcome to the show. I was calling about a term that I've heard used since my childhood. Um, I, I grew up in Carteret County, North Carolina. We're on the coast. Um, and in the eastern part of the county, uh, we call it down east. Um, it's uh, part of it is along the Barrier Islands mm-hmm. um, and near the Cape Lookout Seashore. But there's uh, a, commu- a, a series of communities down there, and they have a specific. It's almost like a brogue that they use. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but there's a lot of terms that they use, and one of them is mommicked. Um I think it's spelled M-O-M-M-I-C-K-E-D. And usually I've heard it used um, to mean flustered or if someone's had a really rough day, if they're bothered or frustrated, they'll say that they've been momicked mm-hmm. um, that day. Uh, and it's just a, a, that's one of the many terms. There's also an area called Salter Path where there's another pocket of folks that use similar terms with a similar accent. Mm-hmm. Um, they also, they just many of the things they say are, are beautiful to me. It's almost poetic, like if they're... Um, if they want to indicate that they think something's funny, that they they would be laughing a lot, they'll say, I'm bent double, like mm. bent over double <laughs> laughing. Uh-huh. Um, they also use words like, uh, or terms such as in the Merkles, 
which is um, there's a lot of Merkel bushes around here. So mm-hmm. if you take a turn off the path, um, you'll end up in the Merkel bushes or lost. So those two things, like bent double and, and the Merkels, I can understand kind of – I could see maybe where they came from. But Mamek, um, I have no idea, and I've always been curious. That's really interesting. Yeah, what's super cool about Mamek is it's a really old word. Yeah, it goes back to to England and and like the late 1500s, early 1600s. In fact, Shakespeare used the term mommock, M-A-M-M-O-C-K. Wow. Uh, Yeah, you find that in in one of his plays. And it means to to tear. Later it means to fluster or the noun mommock. M-A-M-M-O-C-K means an untidy heap or mess, a litter, a confused, shapeless mass, a dirty mixture, a confusion, a muddle. And it's really interesting that although you see it in the South, you especially see it in that part of the country where you are. Maybe every time someone asks us about this question, it's there's somebody from North Carolina. Yeah. It's some, super yeah I mean, moment. it's really, I know that I lived in, um, I've lived in Nashville, Tennessee. I lived for a while in um, Pennsylvania, South Central Pennsylvania. Never. And I would occasionally, you know, you revert back to your childhood. I've had a bad day and I would say, oh, I've been momicked today. And people Ah, would look at me like uh I was crazy. (laughs) No one had ever heard of it that wasn't from here. Uh I like your approach to this new language or this language that belongs to the area. You talked about it as beautiful. And and I think that's a great Mm -hmm. attitude to take to the this kind of speech that Mm -hmm. is not mainstream or standard. Oh, yeah. It's po- to me, it's poetic. You know, I can say I'm laughing or I can say, oh, that's funny. But when I say I'm bent double, you know, that paints a really beautiful <laughs> picture very quickly. It's pretty concise, but it, it just adds a there's another dimension, I think, to communication down here because of that. Absolutely. That kind of and that's what we keep saying again and again on the show. Yeah. Be proud of your dialect. Yeah. And, and oh, I yes. love the delight that you're taking in it. Thank you so much for calling. And if anything else from down east strikes your fancy and you want to share it, please give us a call. All right. Will do. Thank you so much. All right. Take Alrighty. care now. Bye-bye. 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 Want more Away With Words? Listen to years of past episodes at waywardradio.org or find the show in any podcast app or on iTunes. Our toll-free line is always open, so leave us a message at 877-929-9673 and we'll take a listen. We'd love to get your messages at words at waywardradio.org or hit us up on Twitter at W-A-Y-W-O-R-D and look for us on Facebook. This program would not be possible without you. Grant and I are out to change the way we listen and think about language, and you're making it happen. Thanks also to senior producer Stephanie Levine, director and editor Tim Felton, director Colin Tedeschi, and production assistant Emma Kelman in San Diego. In New York, we thank quiz guy John Chinesky and that master of keeping it real, Paul Ruist at Argo Studios. Away With Words is an independent production of Wayward, Inc. From the Recording Arts Center at Studio West in San Diego, I'm Martha Barnett. And I'm Grant Barrett. So long. Bye-bye. Hey, listeners, we have a favor to ask. We'd love for you to fill out our listener survey at gum.fm slash words. Your feedback is crucial. It's quick, and it helps us make our show even better. It shapes our show, helps us plan, and ensures we're bringing you the content you love. That's gum.fm slash words. Thanks for being a part of what we do. Thank you.